A very warm welcome to Series 5 of Industry Minds, sponsored by us, Tax for Actors. We take the stress out of self-employment. Stay tuned for an exclusive offer only for Industry Minds listeners. But for now, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Industry Minds, the podcast that discusses the importance of talking about mental health within the creative arts. My name is Cathy Reid and today I am joined by the lovely Sean McCourt. Sean is an actor and producer but was also in casting, which we will chat more about later. Sean, how are you? Very well, thank you for having me. It's great to finally be on the show. Yeah, it's so great to have you. Um, This is being recorded over Zoom for anyone listening. So if you do hear any kind of interference or anything, you know that it's a lockdown situation that is happening right now. So we always start with a word association game. Are you ready for this? I think so. I hope so. Okay. Friends. Zoom. Industry. Auditions. Exercise. Energy. Spotlight. Stress. Pizza. Pineapple. Music. Joy. Dogs. Cuddles. Oh, see, um, what people won't be able to see, because this is a podcast, not a video cast, is that uh, when you said pineapple for pizza, I made a little face. And you'll realise that when we come to uh, finish the sentence at the end, you've almost preempted one of my questions. (laughs) So let's uh, start at the beginning. Just give us a little bit of a background about you. What got you into the arts? I started quite late in comparison to a lot of people, I think. I was a competitive gymnast all through my childhood. I was living in Scotland at the time and I was representing the country. And that was very much kind of where I was headed in terms of what I wanted to do with my life. Then I sort of reached an age and we actually moved from Scotland to England and I sort of decided that I guess it'd become a bit of a chore. I was training five days a week and competing every weekend. And then when I got to secondary school, there weren't very many boys in our sort of small village secondary school that would sing or act or dance. And they were doing a production of Bugsy Malone and they'd sort of done their auditions and the way they did at the secondary school and basically had a cast full of girls and no boys. It basically forced a few of the boys to audition for the show. And it was the first time I'd ever got up and sang in front of people. I'd never done any singing before. So I wouldn't do it. And I remember they did the auditions with everyone in the room in front of each other. And I remember saying, I'll come in and do it, but I'm not going to do it in front of everyone. I'll come and sing the song. And I did, and I got cast in the show. And that was the first time I'd ever really been on stage. And I loved it. But I suppose at the time, even then, I was still at an age because I hadn't been sort of dancing as a child or, or anything. I sort of didn't really know that it was a career path I would have picked. Or, you know, I was very academic at school as well. Very studious, kind of straight A student. And I think my parents were hopeful that that was the route that I would go down, that I'd utilise those things. But I got to the end of secondary school and my sort of A-levels and then going on to drama school, everything was very much geared towards that. And I just loved it. And I think I'd sort of, and I'll talk, talk a bit more about it, I'm sure, later on. But I think I'd put so much pressure on myself within the school environment in terms of the academia that I just assumed that's the way that I should go because that's how everyone else thought of me rather than doing something for myself and what I really enjoyed and what I sort of felt that I was starting to excel at. So I knew when I was at sixth form that I was going to go to drama school at that point. And luckily, I had sort of everyone, parents, family on site and supported that. 
it's a funny thing, isn't it? You know, being an actor, you train and train to do it. And as we'll sort of discover when we talk about my journey, certainly over the last few years, is that there are sometimes even now where you think, is this what I should be doing? You know, is this going to be a forever thing? But yeah, that's that's sort of when it all started. Bugsy Malone, that great show. <laughs> I think um, I think everyone's done Bugsy Malone. I haven't done it, but a lot of people have done Bugsy Malone, and it's kind of their their get into get into the arts thing, really. Oh yeah, and you just want to use those guns, don't you? Those splurge guns. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great show. It's great fun. I saw it uh, 2016 in uh, the Lyric Hammersmith. There was yeah. a few people from my year that were in it, and it was just so much fun. Um, mm. And they look like they had the best time. So, yeah. yeah. So where did you train? Where did you go to drama school? And just as kind of like a side question to that, getting on to mental health, do you think that you were mentally prepared for the industry when you graduated? Um, so I trained at the Guildford School of Acting um, and I had a great time. It, I think the answer to the question, I guess, is no. I didn't feel that it was instilled enough within the course in terms of sort of mental health and and looking after it. But that's not me saying that it's, I'm not saying it's a weakness of the course. I'm just, because I also understand it as something that's very difficult, not to teach, but that people have a knowing of. You know, we go to drama school and we come out and we, we have our training in the skills that we're going to need to use in auditions we also learn about spotlight about agents about headshots um, about tax you know these these really important things that you do need to take on as a self-employed actor but mental health I think is it can be quite a sort of an individual thing and though I think it's important that it's highlighted I don't necessarily know exactly how it can be included in a, in a, in a syllabus at, at a drama school. It's important that they flag it up and that they make us aware or make students aware of the effect the industry can have on you. Because, you know, I, you, you think, think back to the days of sort of fame musical and they sort of they talk about you know hard work and here's where you start paying I remember that kind of like tagline in the show and they say things about having a, a thick skin and um and it's so true but it's easy just to go well you just need a thick skin that that's it you just have to deal with rejection but it's not that easy and it's not it's not even just about the rejection I think there's so many things in this industry that knock us and it's and it's, a, I guess, in a way, it's sort of a selfish industry because you have to be, you have to think about yourself a lot. And that can be to the detriment of your mental health as well, because you're constantly having to think of yourself and what other people are thinking of you. And you do that from, from the point of drama school. Well, before that, um, you know, you, I'm a warrior as a person. Naturally, I'm a warrior. So not, I don't want to tell everyone, people don't want to know my whole life story, but I think that it's important with mental health to look further back than me being at drama school because I, my mum always talks about it and, you know, she'll say that when I was a, when I was a little boy at sort of primary school and I would do spelling tests or maths tests, um, she'd go into the parents' evenings, which obviously at that age, aren't, they're more about you and how you interact and how you socialise with other children and those communication skills. But one of my first teachers said, Sean needs to remember that it's not the end of the world if he doesn't get 100%, if he doesn't get 10 out of 10. And it's having suffered with mental health problems, it's quite interesting to look even that far back um, and to think of how that's sort of formed me. And, and that's 
that ultimately is what we're doing as actors. We, we, we want to be the best. We want to be better than everyone else that's going into that audition room. And it's quite unhealthy. And I don't think, trying to bring this back to GSA, because I, I went off on a bit of a tangent there, I think that um, you don't, you can't learn enough about it until you're out there in the industry. And that's not just about your mental health. That's about the industry as a whole. I think you learn so much more on the job and you learn how to deal with things that are going to be thrown your way because all they can do at college is sort of tell you or set up in a sort of a mock style audition where actually at the end of the day, you don't need that audition to pay your, you don't need that job to pay your bills. Um, you know, whereas when you're going out there, you're putting that extra pressure on yourself and having to learn more about your own mental health and how you deal with things. Um, but I do, you know, what you guys and what you guys are doing is so important in, in sort of bringing it to the forefront. And I do think that colleges have a responsibility to try and do the same as much as possible. Yeah, totally. I, I loved that answer. That was really, really great. Um, you mentioned something about having a thick skin. And I think that something that I've certainly realised throughout um, my time in the industry over the last kind of like four years is that there's a difference between having a thick skin and being resilient mental resilience is is a completely different thing and it's not saying oh you should just have just just toughen up just just deal with it that's what it is is being able to take the knocks and know that like you're you're still looking after your mental health you can still be resilient to things um and be looking after your mental health at the same time it's not like you're just shoving it to the side and being like oh no I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna think about it um that kind of thing it's yeah, yeah. That and sense. I think I think that that's because I, I think that that can become dangerous if you if you go in very much with the attitude of well I have to be tough I have to be thick skinned I, I have to just push everything to the side or push everything to the back of my mind everything that you're pushing if you sort of think of it that way everything you're pushing back there is still there those things are still there and they still build up and you can get knock after knock after knock and you'll have to find a way. I think it's, it's sort of a, it's about finding coping mechanisms rather than just going, well, I'm an actor and I therefore must just be resilient to this. Then you have to find ways that allow you to understand what's happening rather than just pushing it aside. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in being someone that likes to know what that feedback is, what that reason is, because so often in this, in this industry, you, you just get told a sort of a no. Or you get, you know, you get told in the room when they don't call your name out and they call someone else's. And um, and that can be really tough. So yeah, I totally agree that it's not they're they're very different things and we grow to be more resilient to it. Um, and I think I think unfortunately, if you don't, then it can be really difficult. And you know, I learned a lot of this from weirdly from the other side of the table and sort of seeing it firsthand and dealing with other agents and other actors rather than it being me that was in that situation that was being told that no and sometimes you can see how different people cope with it in the room in in the room in an audition room not only getting the rejections or of course getting the job offers but in that room in front of people and that resilience shows as well but I think it's also important to to recognise that we are allowed to have weak days. We're al- not weak, I shouldn't say weak, that's the, that's the wrong word, but we're allowed to have days where it gets to us more than others because we're human beings. And I think that we're not robots as actors. We're not, we shouldn't, 
be going into a room, getting a knockback and just being blasé about it. I, I wish I could be like that, but I'm not. And, you, you, you know, people can try their best to put on that front, but there'll always be that sort of thing niggling in their mind um, as to why it's happened. And But, you know, we have to move on. We have to move on to the next audition. But just, I think it's just processing it. That's what I've learned a lot, about, you know, and that those are the things that they, they simply can't teach you at drama school. You you don't learn that until you're at the auditioning and you, you're able to find your own coping mechanisms and find your own way of processing what's going on um, in your brain because it can be a bit of a mess at times and certainly mine can yeah no absolutely um I think it's really interesting what you said about seeing it from the other side of the table which we will talk about um in a little bit I think that's really important um but let's just chat about your kind of first few years out of uh, GSA. When you emailed us um, last summer, gosh, to ask uh, to come on the podcast, um, you gave us a really, really great overview of what you've been doing in the industry since graduating. So, um, so as I said, before we get onto your casting work, let's just chat about the first few years out for you. How were they for you? So I left, I left GSA in 2010. So thinking back that far I, I remember sort of I remember, I remember graduating with that that graduate glow and that excitement um I don't it's not it's not all doom and gloom I came out of drama school and thought oh like I'm, I'm actually really ready and really excited to see what the industry has to offer and then you then you see the reality of it but um I I was incredibly lucky in my first few years out of drama school uh I did my showcase already having a job lined up and um and then I went on to sort of tour with with Joseph and did a couple of other musicals. And then I, I, again, I was I was incredibly lucky because for the musical theatre trained actors, sometimes not always, but it's difficult to sort of step across to the world of sort of straight theatre. Um, but I went into Warhorse in the West End, and then went into the Railway Children in London as well. So I was able to get a couple of plays under my belt. But you know, it wasn't without its times of of being out of work at all and and sort of juggling the front of house jobs and and cafe jobs and you know doing and teaching and you know having to hustle quite a lot during those times and but I think that I was someone who as I say sort of worried from the onset you know was always comparing myself to everybody else around me that was that such a toxic thing when you come out of drama school when you graduate altogether and you see what other people are doing 12 months down the line and you sort of don't feel that you're keeping up with them and it shouldn't be about keeping up with them because you're you know you're on your own journey after that point because you're not you're not a class anymore you're not trying to get a better grade and a singing you know exam or, or whatever it is you know you're you're on your not on your own you've got your network of friends but it's it's your career path and you're kind of trying to guide that in a way alongside an agent um, in the correct way. And I think it took me a long time to learn that. And I think that it was partly the reason why I think I started to suffer with anxiety and, and depression because I just didn't quite feel that I was doing as well as I should be. And that's, that's looking back at it now, it's very different. But at the time, you know, things like... I've, I've done a lot of understudying in my career so far, which I, I love doing. And I think it's it's a great skill to have to be able to do that, to know those, you know, those different tracks and to go on. I, I, I think I'd struggle as a swing. Um, I don't think I've got the brain capacity for it, but understudying and there was, especially when it's things like understudying someone and it's not because they are more suited to the role. It's because 
they are a celebrity or a profile. And that's not me knocking that part of the industry because I understand why and it's all about bums on seats. But there are times when it would become quite deflating as an actor to think, I I feel like I should be doing that. Um, it's, it's very different if, if that's not the reason for the casting and you're, you, you're understudying someone and you've both done your training um, and it's not that you've sort of been on a, a reality show or whatever. And, and I, I have to sort of be careful when I say this because there are some incredibly talented people out there that have, that have come from those roots, but there are also some that are not. And, and I, you know, I guess I got to a point where I thought, well, I, I, I don't really know these are the sorts of, of roles I'm going up for, but before I go into the room, there's already someone that's got the job who we've seen on The Only Way is Essex or whatever show it might be. And actually that was at the point where I, I got Warhorse, um, where I'd sort of felt a bit down about it all and and didn't quite know what the best step was next for me and ended up in this beautiful, incredible show, um, which, you know, kind of, I guess kind of brings me on to the mental health, which was really where I started to deteriorate in, in that in that particular production for anyone who has been in the show or knows someone who's been in the show they'll probably know how hard it is and you know how difficult and and grueling it can be and I was one of the the 12 puppeteers in the show and it it, it certainly wasn't easy it was very physically demanding and actually very mentally demanding to do it because you're working that hard but you were trapped inside a cage technically as the principal of the show because it's Joey it's the the horse um and you weren't able to talk you know you weren't really able to interact with anyone on stage so it, though there were three of you in a team chris and jamie had two of my best friends now because and that's because of the the dynamic off stage um you it was very solitary as a job and i think at the time i was as i said i was i was I was quite unsure of, of my sort of position in the industry and whether I felt that I wanted to continue doing it. And that contract continued and it, I just got gradually worse. And, you know, it, what was great for me as a, as a sort of a tool there was that I was working for the National, though it was a commercial theatre in Tammy, was still, it was still a National Theatre contract. And so you had use of the nurse and the you know the therapist and, and all of these people at the national and they're, they're, which they're so amazing at providing for their actors well, well everyone who works for them and it was the first time I'd ever seen a therapist and it was needed I got to a point where it was needed where I just felt like I didn't want to go into work and there were there are a few reasons for that but I think for me it was a real kind of turning point where I I sat back and I'd let my life sort of run a hundred miles an hour and I'd let myself be super busy with lots of different things as you, you know, you just listed some of them. And, and I was doing a lot of that at the same time as being in this contract. And I sat back and thought there's something doesn't feel right. It doesn't, something in my brain doesn't feel right. The way that I'm now unable to process things and I'm, I'm sort of unable to, um, to emote these, these things and understand them. Um, was really sort of bringing me down and I'd never I guess like many I'd always steered away from words like depression um because there there was then and I think there still is now a, a stigma attached to it and I I just became very very low in the job and and had to take some time off work and was becoming incredibly anxious about actually being in the show. And when I was there and I sort of felt like a totally different person 
And I think if I didn't have a contract lined up after it, I would have stopped at that point. I would have said, I need to take a break. I need to take a step back and deal with this. But in a way, I was lucky and unlucky that I'd, I'd, I had a contract sort of lined up for the railway children straight afterwards. And I'm so glad I did it. I'm so glad that I didn't try and back out of that. And, you know, I, I was really happy and I met the most amazing people on the job. And, and in terms of sort of physical exertion, it was nothing like I'd just been doing in War Horse. It was quite frankly, a bit of a breeze in comparison. And I sort of, and the, 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 um, the railway children took me up to the point where I decided to step away from acting. Wow, that was really great to listen to. After you did The Railway Children, you went on to work as an associate for Debbie O'Brien Casting, and then you went on to be on the casting team at the National Theatre. Um, what did you learn from moving to this side of the table? Um, well, I mean, kind of going back to when I first started with, uh, with Debbie O'Brien and, and Harry, I sort of fell into it. It wasn't... I always knew that I had a real kind of passion for the industry and I was always very interested in, in casting and, and, and wanting to understand how it all worked, but not knowing. Just you, you get that call from your agent, they've submitted you on Spotlight. You sort of don't really have to do anything other than prep the stuff for the audition. Um, and, and I, as I say, I was, it was at a time where I thought, actually, I'm not entirely sure that I want to pursue acting at the moment whether that's whether that's permanently or whether that's just for now and spoke to my agent at the time and said I think I want to pause um and Debbie had cast me before um in my career and it started off that they needed someone to read for an audition just to go in and read and then I did that and it it happened that an assistant slot became available and I started working for her and I very quickly learned the ropes and her and Harry were great with me and um you know, they, they, they handed me over a lot of responsibility, meaning that I could then take the associate position and sort of try my best to bring in other casting work. And, um, but it got to a point there where I felt like I'd sort of done everything I could. Um, and the national and another um, casting officer had offered me a job. And I, and I took the national sort of for the prestige of the job and, and where I thought it would take me, obviously thinking at the time that that's the, that's the path I wanted to go on. So, but in terms of what I learned from the jobs, I mean, it's, I think if, if every actor could sit on the other side of the table, it would be incredibly beneficial. It can't happen because there's too many actors out there. But I think that y- you do learn a lot from being in, a, in the audition room, not only in the audition room, but also learning the, the sort of office side of things and what agents, what the conversations that agents and casting directors are having to have. And, you know, those things, when an agent says they're pushing you, they are pushing you because you sit in the office and their phone never stops ringing and they're pushing their clients because they want them to be seen for, for whatever um, project it is. But I guess looking from the, the, the point of view of an actor or, or at that point, a sort of a not entirely sure if he wants to be an actor, actor, um, you know, learning that it's, learning that it's out of your control after you leave that room is, is, is vital. It, because we all do it. We do an audition and then we leave and we analyse it. And I still, to some extent, do it now. But, you know, the decision's made by that point. And you can sit there and go, well, I could have done better on this. I could have done better on that. But ultimately, that's not going to change the outcome of that audition anymore because it's happened. We can't change the past 
in acting just like we can't in any other aspect of our lives you know once once it's done it's done and also we we put a lot more weight and pressure on things as actors that that crack on that note they might not even care about and they may have just gone we just love her or him and and we will give them a recall or we'll, we'll give them the job but you know i do i did see the sort of hoops that actors often have to jump through as well and the the, the the sort of the number of boxes that you have to tick in an audition room and they really it is true that it can be sort of things that are really out of your control and unfortunately if you aren't three inches taller and that person that they want to cast as that the, the the actor opposite you need they need that then you know it's or, or they're, they're casting twins and they need you to at least look a little bit alike or whatever it might be. I, you know, it, it, they're things that you just, there's nothing you can do about it. And I think that you have to take that, you have to try and have that mindset about auditions. And not only that, but you're going into the room. Uh, I mean, I, I think I can say this. I can, it, you know, it's the process of auditioning. You're being submitted for things, but we have to not forget that creators directors musical directors already have a list of people in mind that they might like for that job so though you're being seen for the job they may have three people that they think that they've availability checked which is you know i spent my life in casting doing availability checks so you can sort of do the most amazing audition but still not get the job you could do you could do the best audition of the day but not get the job because there's something else that means you're not you're not going to get it I mean, is that is that kind of what you mean in terms of what I've learned from that side, or do you mean from the from the being involved in casting as an associate? No, uh, absolutely. Um, what what you said was completely what I meant. On the mental health side of it, was your mental health affected being in casting in, in the same way that it was when you were when you when you were acting, as in not like affected by the specific job, but did you find that it helped it or hindered it at all? Well, I think for me, when I when I first started. I mean, the, the thing is that I had a, have like a, a very good relationship with, with Debbie. And so it meant that she sort of, she was, she was quite motherly towards me. And I think at the time in my life, uh, with how I was feeling, that really worked because I, was, I had a job, like I had money coming in, but I had someone who was there that I could sit and have a chat with as well about it all. And not necessarily about mental health, but she knew that I was in, not in a happy place about being an actor at that particular point. Um, on, I, I, and again, I shouldn't say that because I, I should say I, I wasn't at a happy point in my life. It wasn't just about acting because I think that it's really dangerous to just pin it on acting because it's not the reason I have have suffered with mental health issues is not just because of acting. Of course, there are triggers, but I could have done any job and still felt like this because there are obviously you know, scientific, chemical reasons why these things happen to some and not others. You can't just go, well, it's because I wasn't getting the work. And also what was interesting about me was that I was getting the work, is that I I had a run of sort of three and a half years of, of work, of work that I was really proud of, and it was happening. So that was why I then thought, well, this is what I've been striving for and working for, and it's not, I still don't feel happy. Why don't, why don't I feel happy? I mean, I think, I think I gave myself a bit of a break mentally when I first started it. But I think that there was a definite sort of downward spiral again with that because I very much kept hidden to anyone that I was starting to have that feeling of, have I, have I walked away from acting when I shouldn't have walked away from it? 
And those things play on your mind and, and you're sitting in auditions every day, reading in auditions every day, seeing people do those things. And you, you, if, if, you, if, you, you know, if, if you're listening and I, and I have friends that are now thinking about going into casting that I do get a lot of people quit, like, sort of quizzing me because I, yeah, I have had a varied sort of last three years and, and that, it's been amazing. But that, you know, they're at that point where they're thinking, do I want to do something else? Would I maybe like to be an agent or would I maybe like to go into casting? And um, I would say, if you think you're going to go into an audition room as a casting director, as an associate, as an assistant, and you think that you're going to sit there and go, well, I could do that better. And that is not the time to go and do it because you've still got that sort of urge, however small it is, you've still got that urge to be acting. And, and I started to realize we'd, we'd, you know, we'd, we'd be casting shows and, and I was reading in and, or was sort of heading them up and, um, you know, even getting to the national and sort of reading in with stuff there. And, and I think, think, Oh, maybe I, I'd quite like to do that. I could play that role. Um, if I was three inches taller, um, it's, you know, those feelings started to creep in. And at first I was really good at pushing them aside. Really, really good. I just didn't say anything to anyone and I just kept going with the job. And I, and I think I'd gotten, I got myself into a place which as I do, where I thought, oh, I'm actually quite good at this. So now I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to put everything into it and see how far I can get. So then, of course, the, you, you land a job in a casting office somewhere like the National, where I wouldn't have landed that had I not had the, the grounding that I had from Debbie. But the, the sort of acclaim that you get for it and the, um, you know, you, you get the, everyone starts to congratulate you and, um, and you think, oh, actually, I've done something, I've done something really positive here. Is it for the right reasons? Day two of working there, I probably knew that it was for the wrong reasons that I'd done it. Um, and I'd sort of tried to fight that urge of, of you know, not, or not wanting to act anymore and not wanting to put myself out there as an actor because I, I wasn't sure I could sort of deal with it at that particular time. So it was weird for me because it was a bit of a roller coaster. I sort of, I, I got to a point where I was really low with acting, not, not with acting, but with it in life. And it happened to be when I thought, sort of thought, oh, maybe it's time to step away for a little while got into casting decided that I wanted to just be at the top of my game to really go for it and then landed there and it and I went back to probably worse than I'd been um and that I'd say that was the sort of the lowest of the low that I'd felt um I was there not too long and I you know there were there were a lot of days where I was just sort of leaving the building and I would just cry. I would just be in tears. And I'd think, oh, it'll get better, it'll get better. All the while, I didn't really quite know why I was crying or what, I, what it was that I was wanting. Um, and had I made a mistake in, in sort of, I guess, picking that particular route for myself. I mean, I've missed out that I worked for an agent as well for sort of six months during this. Alongside working at Debbie's, I worked for the amazing Moena Preston, who's now a really, really good friend um, and who's been an absolute saint through all, through all of this because I had to sort of make a decision whether I was going to work as an agent in on casting. And she was so supportive and, and even is now after everything that's changed since then. And um, so I, I guess I have really have seen it from quite a few sides because I saw that and I, again, I sort of just engrossed myself in the work of that and casting at the same time, which my weeks were just horrendously busy. Um, and I, you know, was working such long days, but 
I left I left the national um, quite abruptly, and I've not really spoken about it until I'm sort of speaking out. Other than people, other than those that are really close to me, and it was just a really really hard time. And I m- my boyfriend was on tour at the time in American Idiot, and he was in Glasgow, so it wasn't even like he was just down the road from London for me to see him. And I just phoned him and, and he knew, he knew that I wasn't happy and he knew that the likelihood was that I was going to leave and have to have a period of time where I sort of gathered my thoughts again. But you have to give yourself that time if you need it. And that's, that's sort of where I got to. I got to a point where I thought I shouldn't be feeling like this every single day. I shouldn't be feeling this low. I shouldn't be leaving work in tears. I shouldn't be hating it as much. And, um, you know, the reason why, well, it was, I guess, because I knew that I wasn't doing the right thing for me at that time. Yeah. Thank you so much for being so honest with us about that. I think that's a really important thing for people to to know, like whatever they're doing in whatever job that you've got to be happy doing what you're doing and whether or not you went into it for the right or wrong reasons, as you, as you said, you did it and you've learned something from it, but then you've been true to what you want to do and to yourself. And then you've, you've gone back into... Yeah. I think, I think as an aside there as well, I think it's really important that for me to mention anyway, and I guess it's how I sort of felt, is that for those who are offended by this when they hear it, forgive me, but, you know, as actors, we're, we're sort of at the bottom of the food chain. Um, and people can argue it and say that we're not. Um, tweet me, I'm sure you will. Um, but... That is the case. And I think I got a little bit fed up of it. And I think I sort of got, because I'm 33 now. And I, I, so I, must, I went into casting when I was 30. And, um, and I think that I, got, I just got to a place where I felt like a la- there was a lack of control in my life. And I think I thought that going into the business from another side, that you'd have sort of more respect and you'd have that responsibility. And that in a way because I know that sometimes they do, that people would look up to you in a slightly different way because you'd sort of made that move. And I, th- and I think a lot of actors maybe want to make a move in their life and make a change in their life are a bit too scared because it's an industry that you love so much and the passion is there. And you, you just can't take that, that final step to, to move away from it. And I know that that's the case because then since, since I started working at Derby's, to now, even now, even in the last couple of days, people have been in touch with me about doing it and about saying, well, I don't know whether I should do this. So what do you think? Like, what, what is your experience? And I hope, I hope that people listen to this and take something from it if they're, if they're one of those people. And my answer to that is, first of all, don't be scared to do more than one thing. Why should you? Why should we only wear one hat? You know, it, it's, um, at one point I was working for, Working for Debbie, I was um, working for Moena. I was still, I still had an agent, not really auditioning, um, and was producing stuff on the side. And yeah, of course, I was. Uh, I, I, it was too much. The, the workload was too much. But I don't think there's any reason why you shouldn't do more than one thing. So when people would say, "Well, why are you doing that? Why are you doing producing this when you're in casting?" Or you know, I mean, Harry as well. Harry will often direct. And funnily enough, the, the first thing that I did when I sort of made that decision that I wanted to go back to acting was, was Imagine This at the Union. Um, and Harry directed it. Um, 
you know, so he's someone else that kind of sort of sticks two fingers up to that and says, well, why can't I? Why can't I do these? You know, and I, I do respect people that are, that are willing to put themselves out there, you know, and, and to do that. Um, I feel like I've sort of gone off on a tangent and I can't quite think where I was originally. Um, not at all. Not at all. It's really great. Everything you're saying is, um, is really great. And I think really informative for people who are having a bit of a, not sure what they want to do at the moment. Like we, we speak to a lot of people who maybe choreograph, but they also act, um, or they are an agent, but they also, um, they also do some other things and they've moved from, from different parts of the industry. And I think that there is a little bit of a stigma about how you should only do one thing, kind of like stick to your lane, but like, why can't you do more than one thing? There's no rule. There's no rule book that says, Hey, you're an actor. You've got to stick at being an actor um, at all. So you can, you can produce, you can direct, you can cast, you can act, you can do really whatever you, whatever you want to do <laughs> I think it's about, it's, it's about keeping yourself busy as well isn't it I think you know I mean look at times like this now that you know this sort of uncertainty that we're in, in in this industry and and people are out there doing their thing and are trying their best to just and and, that, and that's what it's all about that that was why I like to keep busy because I don't like to give as an actor I don't want to give full control over to other people why can't I be in control of some aspects of my life I'm going to go up and audition for things and ultimately it's someone else's decision, but I can then be saying, um, I can't do that three week gig because I'm producing these, these concerts or this, this show. Um, you know, you have to, you have to find a balance that works for you. And some people are incredibly lucky and jump from job to job to job. And it's amazing, you know, um, but the majority of us won't do that. And we will have these periods where you have to find things and you know, as I say, I saw, I worked front of house and things, and and I met met some. I, I mean, I, one of my best friends, like I met, work in front of house at the Palladium. You know, um, and she she's kind of been a real support for me through all of this, and and does you know she does stuff for herself as well sometimes. And um, it, but I'm at a point now where I probably wouldn't do those jobs just because I, I've now got these little things that I found that give me they give me like happiness and they, they give they, I feel like I've really got a purpose um but it's you know like I said earlier it's all about like that sort of hustling and and that's what we're all doing as self-employed people in this industry is we're trying to find the next job the next gig and and you know what I learned from being in casting is it's exactly the same like you know you've got to start at the bottom of the ladder and you're going to have periods where you're not going to be working there's not going to be people bringing in like shows for you it's different somewhere like the national where there's forever shows and so there's a team of sort of four of you always working on the casting side but and you know other casting directors out there they're having to do the same they're having to do the same sort of networking that we do um and having those days where they think ah it's it's really quiet for the next two months what what am I going to do you know how am I going to fill my time um and I just think that whatever decision you make and whatever things you do, it's, it's like I say, it's just got to be for the right reasons. Did I? No, it wasn't. I didn't take the, I didn't take the job at the national for the right reasons. Other than I felt like I was at an age where I needed to have a salary and I wanted to get a mortgage and I wanted to be an adult. And so in that sense, yes, it was for the right reasons, but for me mentally was it the right reasons, perhaps not, but I didn't know that until I'd started the job. And, um, and also it's, it, it's, it's really, dangerous to go into it for that sort of acclaim yeah. because just as it is with acting 
because that will only last so long and the, the, you, there has to be other reasons why you do it and there has to be that love for it rather than just having a pat on the back and that's where I was and that's where I've that's like I said to you that's what I've always been like think about those little spelling tests when I was a child and you know and it, some people might listen and think well that's totally different it's not because it it's shaped how I approach things it shaped my way of thinking of of a way of um being hungry for success is is what that did and and being that that sort of you know head in the book student and having to get those a's having to get those that first in the degree and um and not settling until i do it's great to have determination but sometimes it can be a bit of a downfall for you yeah no definitely Hi everyone, Owen Woodgate here from Tax for Actors. As promised, we have a very exclusive offer for Industry Minds listeners. For those of you who don't know who we are, we are an accountancy firm specialising in, yep, actors and others within the creative industries. So for Industry Minds listeners, we're offering 20% off our standard fees for self-assessment. Drop me an email, owen at taxforactors.com contact us via our website taxfractors.com or via twitter or via instagram when getting in contact make sure to mention industry minds and you'll benefit from 20 percent of our price for this year enjoy the rest of the show just before we move back on to um your acting what is one thing that you wish people knew about being a casting director hmm well i think that uh, what I've just touched on, I think that not just casting directors, I'd say this is a general thing about the industry, is that we're all on an even keel. So stop putting people on a pedestal and we all are in this together. We're all, every single element, whether that be from the, your agent to the casting director, to the director, to the musical director, to, to backstage, to the band, everyone is working to create something. And you know, it's really bloody frustrating when you're not getting those auditions. Of course it is. But, but there's only so many people that that casting director can bring in. There's only a certain number of days that they're going to be able to see people. And if you want to come in and do an audition where you get a good amount of time, then they're not going to see, you can only see sort of 20 people in a day or whatever it might be, depending on what it is. And um, you know, you don't want to be in a dance call where there's 50 people when there could be 30 and you'd have, you'd have space to move. But it does mean that less people are seen for those things. And until you work on that side, you have no clue how many thousand people are being submitted. And it's quite daunting sometimes when you put, when you put a breakdown out and there's 5,000 people on it at the end of the day. And you're thinking that it's only been there for seven hours. I put that on this morning. Um, and that's what we're up against. And you know, it, I think, as I say, in defence of, of of casting directors, they're the same as us, and that they're that they're they're having to go out and find that work, and they want to do a good job, and they want to bring the best possible people in. I, I do think that there's room for improvement in the casting world, and for some, in terms of the 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 range of people they're bringing in, don't don't always bring the same people in because there's new talent around, and um, but it's hard. Um, what they knew about a casting director they work really really hard (laughs) Um, they work so so hard and and for them it's it's just as much on that creative team it's about 
it's about everything's about giving an answer to a puzzle everything's about sort of filling that slot and that might sound cliche but it's true because that is what you're sitting there with these different people and working out what goes where and but I think like I say not just in terms of casting I think we all need to remember that we're on an even keel and we're all working and we're all hustling towards getting that that job and they're just the same everyone's the same and you know we all deserve to be treated with the same respect it's not you know like I said this should there shouldn't be a food chain. There is, but we shouldn't be at the bottom of it as actors. We shouldn't be. And and it's, you know, I'm not stepping on any toes because I'm not mentioning names, but at the moment, with the way that the industry is, I've got friends that are still unsure of what's actually happening with their shows or or that they've not been given a penny. And that these are the sort of situations where it shows and you think, well, there's somebody here, someone on this chain is making money somebody's got some and it ain't us. I mean, it's, you know, that's not, that's not me talking personally. That's just talking about what I know of what's going on and it shouldn't. And the, and the, the more that we think of it that way, the worse it would be. So we have to sort of go, well, you're going into that room and that's important. You're going into a room to solve a problem. And that is cliche because I hear it a lot, but you are. Yeah. A, the pro- the prob- at the start of a casting process, the problem is they don't have cast and you're going into a room and you can only do what you're going to do. And, and they, they, they understand as well. Cast and directors, oh my goodness, do they understand that people have bad days? They do. Yeah. And you're not, you're not blacklisted because you go in and do a, a bad audition one day if they know what your ability is, you know. Um, they're, not, they're not demons. They're people. <laughs> they're people with the same feelings that we all have, with the same anxiety, you know, with the same anxiety and the same mental health problems that actors have and that's what I mean we're, we're all just the same we're all the same and you know it's important that we remember that yeah absolutely absolutely um so your return to acting how have you found it um mentally how have you found it mentally uh, do you know what <laughs> because I've probably sounded quite negative so far but really positive I find it really positive I um it wasn't a it wasn't a snap decision because I'd obviously as I say I'd thought about it for a long time I thought I'd like to do it. I'd like to go back. I, I, I feel like I've not done everything that I want to do in, in, in that world. And I, and, I, and I was ready to face the challenge. I think I'd got myself to a place mentally where I, I, I'm not sort of, I'm quite candid about it if I get asked about it. And I, and, you know, and I was at a point where I was sort of having to take medical help for it. And I had to give myself that time to adjust to having those chemicals in my body um, that a doctor had prescribed, not just like, not illegal chemicals in my body. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and I was ready, like I felt ready and I, and I, and I was able to sit. And I think pro- possibly one of the still proudest moments I've had for my, myself, and I don't often say that about myself. Um, and my friends that are listening to this will say he, he really doesn't, but was, the t- was a moment where I could say, uh, that was the wrong decision that was you know and to put your hands on girl that was wrong that was I wasn't doing it for the right reasons or or it just it, it wasn't right for me what do I want to do and the very definite answer was that was that I wanted to go back and and go back in with a slightly different attitude towards it um having learned a lot about it from the other side and about myself um so I wanted to go in and I guess make my mark again and you know you can try and tell yourself that it's not for for that, but you we're all we're all competing for that. You want to to make a mark, and um, 
and I get, I, I did imagine this. I think I was, I was still working in casting when I did imagine this. Yeah, I was because I, I, so I did imagine this before I went to the national, um, and did it and thought, Oh, I really like that, but I've just got this job here. So, you know, so I went back out there, got an agent and started, I guess in a way from scratch, I still had my CV. I still had my credits, but I had to go out there and get headshots and get an agent and, um, and go back out into the audition room. That was quite scary the first time I went back into the audition room, just because I was used to being sat on the other side and suddenly you're up there feeling quite exposed. But I, I did it and I, I enjoyed it. And I, I came out of that first audition, got back to my flat and, and said to my boyfriend, oh, it's, I've made the right move. I've made the right move. Um, and I didn't get the job. I, I did, I did a few recalls for the job and it was, it was something I'd have loved to have done, but it, I think it was quite important that I didn't get it. I think it was good that I remembered that feeling and thought, this is what I've signed back up for. And then, and then, and then a week later, I, um, I landed Blood Brothers. Uh, and so I've just sort of, well, the tour is cut slightly short for obvious reasons at the moment. Uh, and that sort of takes me up to now, really. I, I did. I started that last summer. Um, I did the contract, had a little break, and then did another contract. And I've just, as I say, I've just finished it a few weeks back. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's a bit of, it's kind of a baptism of fire going back to it. And I was, I was nervous when I, my first show of Blood Brothers, I don't really remember feeling nervous like on stage just because I hadn't done it for so long. Um, and when I left, and certainly when I signed up to work at the National, I thought that's it. I'm like that I'm not going to be doing that anymore. I'm not going to be auditioning. But to be there, and I remember I my first so I study Eddie in the show. And I remember standing in the wings just before we walk on during the overture as Eddie. And uh I just had tears like rolling down my cheeks, probably because I was so scared, but also because I sat and thought how low I felt sitting at that desk in an office and leaving and being in tears um, to this moment where I just, I felt really content and I felt really happy um, and wiped my eyes and went on stage. Oh, honestly, that is such a lovely kind of like round circle of the story to hear that you've, you feel like you've made the right decision and you've learned a lot from, from what's happened in your career, but now you're kind of back uh, back to where you feel you should be. Um, so aside from the obvious, as we said, this has been recorded over Zoom in lockdown. Uh, it's currently week six of lockdown. How is your yeah. mental health now? I, I mean, you know, I, I would, I'd be naive to, to think that I wasn't going to have down days because I do. And I think if I take away this lockdown, just even whilst on tour, there were days where I, where I just wasn't, you know, as, as happy as other days. And I did feel low and that, you know, and it does, it does really feel like that black cloud's there, but I'm at a point now where I don't sort of need, I'm not having therapy. I don't need any sort of medication to control any chemical imbalances or anything like that. Um, you know, I'm, and, and I'm a lot happier in my, in my life, but as I said, right at the start, you have to allow yourself to have those days where it's, where you just, you just accept that it's, it's a struggle and I think that I've learned different ways that, that will, they won't necessarily, you know, stop me from having those 
those days, but they'll they'll improve them a lot. And whether that's doing exercise or I love being in the kitchen, so I just basically exercise and then bake, and then it just cancels out the exercise that I've just done. Um, it's important to find those things, and then and if if, if there's been any time to find them, it's been now um, during this. You know, so I've been in sort of the kitchen for two thirds of every day, um, and it it's yeah I'm good I'm good um and I just think I have a lot more of an understanding of it and I've and as I say I've only understood it more from suffering and you know hoping that I'll never feel like I did then but accepting that it could happen and nothing's forever so if if one day I decide I don't want to do this I won't do it that's the way I am now. I'm not going to, and I'm, and I don't care whether people judge that and go, Oh, what, what are you doing now? Like make your mind up. I'll make my mind up each time I want to make my mind up. And when I want to do something different, I will do it. And if you don't like it, then that's fine. I mean, you know, I've, I've had real moments of reflection on who my real friendship group is. And that's not just, I don't just mean during lockdown. Um, I mean, since I started working in casting, I think, I, it was a real eye-opener. The number of people that would suddenly say, let's catch up for a coffee. And I'd say, I've, I've never caught up with you before ever. Um, catch up about what? Um, you know, people that, that, that wanted to be your friend because they felt that it was, it was that they could potentially gain from it. Um, and so I have a, very, like, have a very select group of friends that I trust implicitly and and love and they helped me through a lot of this because they know about it I got to I didn't tell any of them at first and I got to a stage where I was able to actually talk about it and say this is this is what's happened and that turning point was after leaving casting um because of course my friends were thinking what 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 are you doing what's happened you know and I had I'd kept it all so secretive and and it's funny as well because you you open up and those friends go well me too they, why didn't you just talk to me? I have the same doubts, the same worries. I feel the same. I suffer from the same thing. And, um, and to, to an extent, I think we all do. I think we all, ha- in some way, are on that sort of spectrum because we all, I mean, I, I, I mean, all of us as, as, as humans, but I also think that if, you, if I were just to sort of narrow it down to actors, I think that we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Um, and... And I think that we don't always understand what that can do to us. It's all well and good to go to the gym and to be ripped and to to feel really healthy in that sense. But if the if mentally it's not going with it physically, then it can it can it's just as dangerous. It's just as as unhealthy um, for you, and can cause just as many other problems within you. You know, um, and it can. I think, in a, and it can so easily spiral because, like you say, we try to put on a brave face and I'm not going to do that if I don't have to. If, if there's a day where I just want to sit and be quite solitary and don't necessarily want to talk, then, you know, I talk about my boyfriend a lot, like Glenn, he, but he's that person that will push me and go, you have to, you have to get out there and you have to go for a run and you have to go to the gym. Not at the minute, obviously, not going to the gym. Um, <laughs> it's um 
you know, you need those people around you and you have to find, and I think it's, I think that's important in this business. I think you have to find those people that you sort of treasure and that, you know, have always got your back. Um, and I think I've, I, I think I've found them, not to say there won't be more, but um, I think I've found them and people that, that understand it. And we do, I think we all, as, as actors, we all do sort of understand it, don't we? And we, we get it. We get what people are feeling, but it's just, as I say, it's sometimes it's a bit, you, you get wrapped up in yourself and it's important to to reach out to others, which is, you know, what you guys are doing with this. That's what you did. That's exactly what you're doing. You're reaching out to people and showing that it's okay to talk about these things, which is, you know, it's so commendable. And it's just, I think it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind. Um, just before we finish, we're going to chat about um, you being a producer. We have to talk about West End Live Lounge. So you're the founder and producer of this biannual event, which raises money for Mind Charity. What made you start this venture? Um, so so we have raised money for Mind Charity, but we have raised it for other charities just Great. in case they feel offended. So what I, what I tend to do is, um, well, Live Lounge started as, as this kind of little um, seed. And I thought... I'd just like to put on some sort of charity event. Um, and I, and I, at the time, certainly it all felt a little bit like it was oversaturated with events that were very much musical theatre in terms of the style of music that was being sung. So I decided, having listened to lots of Radio 1 Live Lounge in the past, that I wanted to do something similar where I was going to get West End singers to come and do concerts but celebrating other genres of music that weren't, that weren't musical theatre. So as a rule, there's no musical theatre allowed in a West End Live Lounge. It's just, that's, everyone knows it's done it and that's, that's what people expect when they come and see it. Um, and it started off at the Union Theatre and it, I remember it going on sale and selling out in about three hours. <laughs> um, and I thought, oh, that's, that's really nice. Like, it's, it's really great. Um, I think that one was for mind, actually, the first one. And um and others have been since, but um, uh, so then I, I, I thought, right, let's do another, let's do another couple of them and see how it goes. And it was getting really, it was just, it was selling so well that the decision was made to move it to a bigger venue. Um, and that was when we went uh, sort of into residency, I guess, with the other palace. Um, and again, they said, just, just so that we know that it's going to sell, we're going to put it in the studio space first um, and just make sure that you sell 90 tickets. I was like, we'll sell 90 tickets, but okay. Um, again, it sold out in a couple of hours. And from then on, it's been in the main house. Um, and, you know, for me, it's just been, it's, it's, such, a, it's such a lovely project. It's, it, it, every, so every, every event is for um, a different charity. Uh, they t- they, it, it varies. I do pick the charities because I have picked mine a couple of times and I've picked the Samaritans because for, for kind of personal reasons and um but there have been other things, other charities where maybe I've read something in the news and it's just, it's, you know, it's kind of really triggered something in me. And, and I've thought, oh, that would be a really lovely charity to, to raise money for. Sometimes a singer that's involved in it will come forward and say, you know, someone, someone like for example, someone that, who has previously done one for me had a family member um, who had unfortunately been battling with... Um, mental health issues and he and he lost that battle and um and I knew about this story and I just thought well you everyone everyone does it for free you know that we have a 10-piece band and we have the most incredible West End singers um and no one makes a penny 
on it other than the charity and obviously the fact we cover the cost of the venue um so things like that where i think well you've done this for me so i'm going to do this and we're going to make money for for you um you know other charities have reached out when when they know that it's you know um that it's going on i think it's there's lo- there's lots of um things out there sort of uh, like west india revision that are making things that are kind of geared to more towards theatre charities as well it's, so we don't so they're not really they're not really for those types of charities but um yeah it, it's i love it i love it it's the most stressful day when you when it actually gets put together it's the most stressful day when i sit there and pull my hair out and then i see it all come together and to people for people to love it and it's become it's got such a lovely reputation and that's what i like about it it's become a thing that we have regulars that come to the show now that they, they want to see every single show and I think that's great. And I think that it speaks volumes for the, the talent that, that's up there. I, I don't, I don't sing in it. I just sit there and watch it. Um, but I, I'm quite an organized person. I like lists. I like clipboards and, um, and it's, and it, I just, I, it's something that I, I kind of like to get my teeth into and I, I like to find new things to do with it. And, um, and I love to find new talent to come into it. And I mean, it's been great. It was great. It is great now that I worked in the casting side and getting to hear so many amazing singers. Um, I think it's, and, it, and from that, I've started to work with the, the team uh, at Crazy Cox at Zadell's in town. And, um, and I love that. I love that you know, what I tend to do there is I get sort of a block of say two weeks and I can put on a festival and I, and I can put whatever acts and I think would be right for the venue. And they've put a lot of trust in me as well. And uh, it's been so lovely for it to be a kind of a platform for people. Uh, you know, I started, the first ever thing I did there was for singer-songwriters, new upcoming singer-songwriters. And since then, some of them that came and did one, two songs, I'm going to gonna have to mention Evie Rose Lane because I'm such a fan. Um, you know, Evie came and did her first ever solo concert there as part of the festival. And that, I love that. Like, I love being, just being a small part of that, that I can say, I want to give you, I want to give you this stage and this platform. You do what you want to do with it. You put your show on um, and we'll make it happen. And I love that. I love seeing it. Again, at the end of a festival, I'm, I do look a bit like a zombie. Um, but um, we were, it, one was meant to be happening sort of, was meant to be happening really soon and obviously it's it's not it was meant to go ahead in june um but yeah i i just i love all of that i love and with western live lounge i love that i'm i'm able to do something that's giving back to other people and that doesn't that you you take a step away and it makes you think about what else is going on in the world and i think that's really important as well i think that drama school is a bubble and this industry is a bubble at times so so to be able to look outside of it and think, how can, what can we do? Even if just a small thing, a small donation, what can we do that's going to benefit other people? I say small, I mean like Western Liveland just raised over 15,000 pounds for charity now, which is, is quite an achievement when you're only doing sort of a couple every year. And yeah, that it's, it's just, it's one of the, it's it's another thing that I like to, to focus on and to keep myself busy with yeah incredible is you've had such a very career and you're only 10 years into it it's amazing I can't wait to see what you're going to do coming up it's so exciting so great um so just before our final question if you could tell your past self uh one thing today what would it be 
I mean, it's a great question. I, I think I would, I would tell myself to do it for you. Do it for yourself. Do it, you know, don't, don't allow pressure from outside to, to steer your own sort of path, your own journey. Do it because you want to do it and because it makes you happy. And try it and enjoy the now as well. I think that I, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening are guilty of the same, they're where they're constantly looking forward to what could be next rather than just thinking, this is where I am now. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, great answer, great answer. And our final question, which we ask everybody, could you walk into a room today and say, I'm having a bad mental health day? Um, wh- when you say into a room, do you mean an audition room? It's whatever room, and it doesn't have to be those words. Um, I guess if someone asked you, would you be able to say, I'm not having a great day today, or I'm feeling down today? Um, I, I think I, this might be a long answer. I hope it's not too long. But I think that I could, in certain rooms, I mean, I think if, if just if, you know, if you, I was chatting to you on the street, and we bumped into each other, and you said, and I would, I would probably say, yeah, I'm, I'm having a bit of a bad day. Like it's not, it's not been the best. Or, and I'll say that now. I quite, you know, especially during this, is with with Glenn. I'll say, oh, it's, I'm just not having a good day today. Like it's just, there's no reason for it, you know. But I think that I guess what I, what I think is important to bring up now is, that could I do that in terms of this industry? Sadly, no. Um, I think that there's still a stigma attached. You know, if I got up in the morning and I had a had tonsillitis and I couldn't sing I would phone my agent and he would be very understanding I mean he would he would be either either way um but I could ring him and say that but would I feel the same cancelling an audition because I mentally don't feel well enough no because I think that there's still a long way to go with this industry and where we are with mental health and looking after it and I think that there are some real champions in it across the board in all different sectors, um, and all different, you know, the creative side. There's, there's directors and there's casting directors that they that understand this and and are totally on board. There are others that I think wouldn't take it as a reason not to be there, and I and I and that's to me is quite worrying um, because. It, by by us sort of accepting that then the stigma still continues with it um you know and, and i think that equity doing a great job with it you know we're, we're bringing even things like bringing in sort of the, the yes no rule uh, and or campaign and giving us that sort of closure on something or notice for recall material which is just is not being respected in some cases and i'm forever hearing stories about it of we got given five songs and three scenes at seven o'clock the night before and you either get in and you don't know it and you've been up all night trying to learn it or you get in and they hear one song and I'm forgetting the question because I'm going off on a tangent again and I'm sorry no 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 uh, it was just could you walk into a room and say yeah. you're having a bad yeah. So, uh, yeah I mean so 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 in terms of the industry no I think that it would have to be someone quite specific and like I say is if I phone my agent and I said look I I actually just can't face this today. I think I need, can we see if we can reschedule? But I couldn't use it. I couldn't say it in the room um, for fear of, because you don't know how those people, as I say, there are some real kind of advocates out there which you've interviewed 
um, on this podcast in the past um, who who really understand it and, and appreciate that it's, it's it's a real thing, um, you know. But there are others that don't, and I just think that for me personally, I'm quite. I guess I'm, I can be quite guarded as to who I would say it to anyway, and you know I'd have to trust them. Um, so I would I just be I would be cautious. But as I say, that's not the way it should be. Keep doing what you're doing because it's um, it's changing it for the better, and and that's it. We we have to keep pushing it um, so that it's recognised. Um, whatever it may be is I mean it's recognized as an illness yeah um, exactly yeah Sean thank you so much um for joining me on zoom today it's been such a pleasure to talk to you you can't go just yet because we're gonna play finish the sentence ah okay you ready yeah. I find this one easier I always find this one easier than word association I feel like it's a little okay. bit less frantic <laughs> so today I woke up and thought well, today I woke up and thought, I'm looking forward to speaking to Industry Minds. Lovely. Everyone should be more... Caring. Mm. Mental health to me is... Oh, that's hard. Mental health to me is... Understanding and accepting the way our brain works. Yeah. In lockdown, I am appreciating... Cookies and cakes... Always. <laughs> uh, the first thing I'm going to do when lockdown is lifted is. Oh, it's, it's probably really boring, but I'm going to go for a swim. I'm, I'm really missing oh. swimming, and and it's like it's it's a real kind of it, it's it's great it's great for my mental health. It's a real it's one of the ways that I escape. So I can't wait to go to the pool. Just Am I allowed to? Though I shouldn't. I should say that one of them would be just to have a drink with my friends on the side yeah. bank. Oh, 100%. Can't wait for that. Um, pineapple on a pizza is? An absolute yes. You're with Scarlet on this one. I'm not on this one. Um, pineapple is my favourite pizza. You do you. <laughs> um, if I was stranded on a desert island, my one item would be? Can I have my boyfriend, Glenn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, I am grateful for. I'm grateful for everything. I'm grateful for um, the good and, and also some of the bad, you know, that, that, like I said, I've learned from it. Um, yeah, I'm grateful for it all. Amazing. Sean, thank you so, so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Industry Minds. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can reach us on our email, which is info at industryminds.co.uk. For all counselling inquiries, please email mary at industryminds.co.uk. You can find us on social media. Our Twitter and Instagram handles are at industrymindsuk. There you can keep up to date with all our latest announcements. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.